I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello, and this is Maximum Firepower. In this edition, we're going to be talking about the only bands that matter, the intersection of punk and politics. Hugely important to me were bands like the MC5, Iggy Pop and the Stooges, the Sex Pistols, the Clash, Gang of Four. They were formative in not just my guitar playing and artistry, but in my worldview. The MC5, the Motor City Five, crystallized the counterculture movement at its most volatile and threatening. They forged a previously unimagined amalgam of garage rock, blues rock, hard rock, psychedelic rock, free jazz, sun-ra improvisation, and James Brown dance moves with raw fury and molten adrenaline. They laid the groundwork and built the scaffolding for one of rock's most important genres. Before the Clash, before the Sex Pistols, before the Ramones, before the Stooges, came the MC5. In music and attitude, the MC5 invented punk rock music. A contemporary journalist wrote, their music is a catastrophic force that the band was barely able to control. And fans at the time compared the aftermath of an MC5 performance to the delirious exhaustion experienced after a street rumble or an orgy. If that's not a band worthy of induction in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, let's all go home. We welcome to the show Wayne Kramer, brother Wayne Kramer of the MC5, and Chris Two, Chris Dose from Anti-Flag, longtime musician, friends, and comrades on this particular show where we are addressing the intersection of punk rock music and political protest. I think it can be argued that the MC5 were at ground zero of that intersection and the cornerstone of all that's come later with regards to that. What's up, Wayne? What's up, Chris? How's it going? How are you guys? Hello. Um, Chris has been in a one of the pioneering and stalwart bands of great political punk rock music in his band Anti-Flag, a band that I was a fan of long before we became acquainted. They opened up for Rage Against the Machine on one of the legs of the Battle of Los Angeles tour in 1999, and we have been friends and co-rockers since then. So, gentlemen, welcome and hello. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yes. Fantastic. An honor. So, so let's just talk for a second about, like, Wayne, in your view, what is the relationship between punk rock music as music and political protest? Hmm. Well, first we have to narrow our focus because punk rock has seen a variety of political persuasions emerge, uh, you know, with yep. the racist skinhead bands and you know, violent uh, kind of jackboots and, you know, go beat up the blacks or be, beat up the Pakistanis or wh whoever they hate. So if we discount them and we just talk about center to left political persuasions, then I think you can see a pretty consistent, but with varying degrees of, uh, of intensity, a desire to you know, do the right thing, to contribute something to the world, to make the world a better place than we found it. And if that means using our voices and our electric guitars and our drums and our basses and any other sounds we can come up with to carry a message about positive change, 
then you can find a lot of examples of that in the punk community. It's kind of an old community at this point. If you start with the MC5 and then go up Mm -hmm. through the coming of The Clash and other bands that, you know, included a vision of reality that they were concerned with. I mean, there's a lot of bands that just don't care. They're not interested in it. And I'm, I'm not really critical of them. Everybody doesn't have to take a political stand on things. But I do, and, and I see uh, kindred spirits across the what's called punk rock, you know, field or range or style. Or, uh, I think there's, you know, a kind of shared commitment to try to, you know, A, to express your frustration with the slow pace of change, and B, to actually make change, to make something happen to improve human beings, you know, something that moves ethically in terms of actions and, and thoughts and ideas that move in the direction of human happiness and away from the direction of human suffering. Yeah, I think in part is that it's like the desire to be agents for social change yeah. exists to a higher degree in punk rock music as a genre than in other genres. Now, let me just tell you, Chris's band, Anti-Flag, this is how punk rock they were when we first became acquainted. We wanted to invite them to tour basketball arenas on the Rage Against the Machine Battle of Los Angeles tour. And I was a fan, and I had their CDs and records, and I there was no way to contact the band. That's how damn punk rock they were. Like, we're like, we want you to come on tour with Rage Against the Machine. So we wrote postcards and letters to P.O. boxes. We were like sort of researching in fanzines. And it was frustrating. Like I, there was a moment where it was like, I, I think I just, I think they're too punk. I don't think we can get them. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you have to run into them on the streets. They're in off order the to grid. Get yeah. Well, I, I, I would also make an argument that there are a lot of people who are trying to find us for not such glorious reasons. So, <laughs> so, so especially at that time and, uh, you know, what Wayne is talking about is true. I mean, there was a lot of violence within the scene in the 90s Mm. and you know this idea exists today within the capital stormers of the world and people that believe you know whether it's the false populism of a donald trump or boris johnson or the afd in germany or whatever it may be their enemy is their neighbor their enemy is the muslim the immigrant the refugee and people that stand up for those marginalized communities are the same enemy to them And so I think that what you're tapping into is that anger and frustration and a direction of that anger. But but I personally believe that punk rock isn't about a sonic genre of music as much as it's about the ethics of exactly what Wayne said, leaving the planet better than you found it. And, you know, frankly, it began with this idea, you know, the moral arc of history bends towards justice. You know, we get that. But a lot of people don't have time to sit around and wait for that. So wait for the arc to bend. Yeah. Yes. That's so correct. so yeah, go yeah. fucking bend yeah. it, you know, and yeah, do, do yeah. whatever you can with whatever you can with whoever, you know, to to bend it. And that yeah. is punk rock. And I think that I mean, one of the things that whenever discussing punk rock 
with friends and colleagues, like I look at punk rock as a very, very big tent. And while there's sort of these stylistic stereotypes of what punk rock is, like I, let's, let's discuss for a minute, like sort of for each of us, like who might be on your Mount Rushmore of <laughs> punk rock bands as it relates to, you know, as it relates to particularly to like social change and things like that. For me, I was looking, you know, sort of going in my head through it and few of them could be sort of like, like I would put Woody Guthrie on that mm-hmm. list of punk rockers, maybe like the original sort of punk rocker to like hold on to a guitar, someone who just didn't care what you thought. I mean, yep. whether you were the government, whether you were the growers in California, whether you were his wife and family, yeah. <laughs> you know, he yeah. was going to do what he was going to do uh, and say what he was going to say regardless. And then for me, the MC5 would be another one. Like, I, you know, I'm a longtime proponent of the MC5 being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, not just for the excellence of the records and the vibe, but because I believe that that is the band that created the template for what punk rock music is. And there, there is no genre of, you know, and and also by having the sort of the fearless commitment to social justice with guitars that, you know, there's there's the end of the punk rock, of the excellent punk rock world, which is the Iggy Pops and the Ramones and all of those, where it makes it acceptable to be a weirdo yeah. and acceptable to be different. And, yeah. and there's a community for you where there wasn't a community before. Which has a um, lot of value. They, I'll interject. I mean... A, a, it, tremendous, yeah. a tremendous amount of value. Yeah. Tremendous amount of value. But it's the MC5, the beginners of the whole thing, who had this vision of music as a battering ram for social change. And I think that that needs to be recognized. Then for me, it's, a, it's sort of a coin flip between the Sex Pistols and the Clash. And of course, for the Clash are my favorite band yeah. of all time and the band that made me realize that there was a way to reconcile wanting to be a aspiring to be a radical and an activist at the same time while holding an electric guitar. On the other hand, the Sex Pistols, if we're like our, our punk with the capital P and there's no... You know, that was the band that made me pick up a guitar. Then the Clash were the band that made me realize that perhaps I could do something with it beyond, you know, Uh, just Unfortunately, Johnny Rotten can't stop stepping in dog shit. I know, (laughs) I know, I know. That's, you know, that's, yeah. That's, I mean, we're going to just, let's enjoy the cassettes. Never mind the bollocks. And, you know, (laughs) for what it was. I mean, from pure sonics and songwriting, never mind the bollocks versus the first Clash record, I kind of yeah. go towards never mind the bullets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, in, in, in some ways, in some ways, it's, in some ways, it's heresy, but yeah. it is true. I mean, that is literally the record that I got that cassette and listened to Anarchy in the UK thirty-five times in my mom's Honda Accord LX, sitting in the driveway of my buddy Doug's house, and then within twenty-four hours, I was in a band. Yeah, I didn't know how to play a note on the guitar. Yeah, but I was in a band because I was felt compelled to do so. And I'd put on for for me. I mean, as uh, honorable mentions to Bad Brains, who are so punked by their existence, to Bob Dylan for his punk rock attitude throughout every phase of his career, you know, from the minor threats and fugazis who have just looked at the world in a different way, which challenges assumptions about what it means to be in a band. But then I'd put Public Enemy on the punk rock Mount Rushmore. And while, of course, you know, sonically very different, the attitude and the outflanking of the norms of their time and of their genre, there's nothing more punk than that. Well, and you you can expand this out even further, Tom, that that we are all part of a long-standing tradition of each generation desperate to find its own voice and make its own contribution, that I would go back to the free jazz movement of the, sure. of the sure. 60s. You know, those guys, you know, they were expressing the anger they felt as Black Americans in their music and re- that's right. And the the criticism was heaped on them. I mean, it was really foul, racist criticism. And you can continue to go back in history. You know, Bach upset everybody. 
a lot of the more adventurous classical composers, uh, you know, people rioted at their gigs because the music <laughs> they were playing was so outrageous. You know, the, mm -hmm. the devil's interval, you know, the augmented fifth. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. even harmony itself was considered blasphemy. So, you know, mm -hmm. we're part of a long tradition of troubadours that go from town to town. And we go to the next town and we tell them a story of, you know, who was sleeping with who in the last town or what the prince or the king in the last town said. And then we carry that, that story to the next town. I mean, and it comes with art. It, I would say Picasso's a punk. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Guernica was a revolutionary work of art. Upset yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. Punk yeah. rock is not confined necessarily to, you know, the no, garage. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, so, Chris, who's some of yours on your well, uh, uh, Mount Rushmore I was, of I was glad, punk and politics? Yeah, I, I was glad to hear Ian McKay get thrown in there. I love things that will bring us back to the East Coast. At, uh, <laughs> at all. You know, yeah. there's a reason that, you know, those guys had leather jackets. You know, it's cold here. You know, you don't just get yes. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I think that through all of that, 100%, um, whether it's from the literary world and a Chomsky and a Zinn or an Emma Goldman, who were pioneers of this idea that, again, what can we do to shake the tree so that the tea leaves are a brighter future or a better future or a better world? You know, yeah, I, I mean, it's all been fairly covered in your in your list, but ultimately to be talking to and Wayne, what you when you talked about the, you know, the troubadours and the kings are talking, telling stories. No better than Billy Bragg at bringing a story from one city to the next city. And sure. and I think that that is such a, a poignant way to get back to making sure that the freaks and the weirdos have a place to be themselves. I'm Tom Morello. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm joined by Brother Wayne Kramer of the MC5 and Chris Dose of the Mighty Anti-Flag. We are discussing punk, rock music, and political protest, the intersection of those two things, something that all three of us know something about. So one of the things I want to talk about, like, what are the overlapping spheres of punk and protest? I was thinking about this in, in preparation for this. And, and you know, the, the most famous Rage Against the Machine song has the refrain, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me, which, you know, which, you know, it has, can be about the police. It can be, some people think it's about their parents or a teacher or society more generally. I've always looked at that. And the initial seed of what is the punk rock protest flower is in the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, where he says, when I was a slave and the moment I became free was not the moment that I was released from my bonds. The moment I became free was when master said yes. And I said, no. And that to me is the essence of fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. And it's just, and that I think is at the core or at least one of the cornerstones of punk rock and protest, which is a calling out of illegitimate authority and the willingness to act in defiance of it. Would you agree or disagree? Of course. And, well, yeah. And, yeah. hundred percent. You know, our job skills, we, we have these guitars and, and we can write songs that can be subversive without them knowing it, you know, that yeah. are, are speaking to the people we want to reach. I mean, uh, the MC5, we wrote probably one of our greater examples of our songwriting was a piece called The Human Being Lawnmower. And it, it was really a brilliant Rob Tyner, the MC5 singer, composed the whole thing. 
It was through composed. It didn't return to the chorus. There was no bridge. It was just movement upon movement upon movement. And it was an, an anti-war song. They used the jawbone, you know, as, as, <laughs> as, a, as a weapon. Chop, 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 chop. And, you know, I, I'm not sure that a lot of people understand that. And I don't care, really. But what I care about is that, you know, we decided that the music had to stretch, too, not just the message, mm. but, the you know, Chairman Mao, who has fallen off my list of heroes, but he said bad art is bad for the revolution. So, yeah. you know, I think I think it's important that the musical side of it remains compelling or is more compelling in order to get people to hear what it is we're trying to say. Yeah. The job of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible to people. And I think that comes into what you're talking about, about songwriting, about the working on the craft. And we learned this very early, again, going back to Billy Bragg, because he was like, yeah, you're loud and angry and all of that is great, but you need to write a song. Nobody's going <laughs> to care about what you're saying until you write a song. And we were like, shit and then he sent us home and, <laughs> <laughs> and we went and worked on the songs you know worked on, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think that that is a valuable lesson you know and it doesn't matter sonically what the song is whether it's more akin to the clash or the pistols or whether it's more akin to nwa or public enemy i think that as long as the song is good and when you get to that payoff line whether it be fuck you i won't do what you tell me or whatever it's got to have impact or else it will fall flat. And, and then there are those instances where you write what you feel is a brilliant song and people don't really connect with it or get it. But, you know, that's not our, we can't control that. That part is so far out of our ability to understand what may or may not happen. So you just have to try your best and have a vision. And hopefully that people will be attracted to that honesty and that empathy. And that's how the snowball gains traction and grows. Yeah, the song Killing in the Name was we buried it on our demo. It was song seven on the Ray First Rage yeah. Against the Machine. So no, no one saw that one. No one in the band necessarily <laughs> saw that one saw that one coming. Crazy as that is. All right. So so final thoughts on the the idea of direct music and direct action. And how in the world of punk rock and politics, creating community and forging meaning in life against a backdrop of boredom and oppression can really provide, you know, like a life raft for survival for young people and also point a way to a vision towards a more humane and just planet. Well, I mean, I think that, look, things are going to come in and out of fashion. And that applies to music and politics. And we saw it 100% on display with the election of Donald Trump and then the revolution summer that we had just last year and the ability of Oreo to make a cookie that is pro-trans rights or whatever. You know, it's going to get piggybacked on from a lot of people and a lot of people are going to come in and out of the interaction with the message. It's those that it sticks to that it really matters. So whether it comes into fashion and you have a pop star talking about getting out the vote or whatever it may be, and, and as weightless as those words may be, it, you know, because it is popular, they want to stay within the public spectrum, people are going to dig deeper and find an MC5 because of that, or find a Rage Against Machine, or find an Anti-Fight because of that, and see that there are people that have dedicated their lives to empathy and social justice and this work and that it's not just about okay 
we have a bad president, so we need to focus on this now. It's we have a bad system and we need to focus on this every day. And so I think that that's the value of having this music that exists counterculturally and sometimes does interject its way into the, the mainstream conversation. And I think that that's great and we should applaud that for when it happens. But it's not the goal or the agenda of it. The agenda is to, to be the constant so that when people are ready to tune in to the message and ready to tune into how they can be better servants of change and equality and equity and all of the things that the songs are about, that there is a guideline there or, you know, the liner notes of a Rage Against the Machine record to point you into the direction of what you should read because the song got you angry or got you inspired. You know, those are who the characters are and, you know, the Mount Rushmore is great and I would love to be on one one day, but I don't really fucking care. I just hope that it gets through to people and that people can can see that they have real power where they work, where they go to school, et cetera, et cetera. I think, you know, part of our job, you know, what we do in, in creating this music is we're creating a community. You know, if you like a Bob Dylan song and I like that Bob Dylan song, we meet in that song. And so if if we're talking about things that are important to us, people find that inspiring. I think that's part of what we're doing because you got to remember that most of the culture that we're operating in, pop culture, contemporary culture, is designed to distract you and, you know, grab another Budweiser and watch a football game and then get up in the morning and go serve your corporate master again. What we're talking about, art, is not designed to distract you. It's designed to make you think. It's designed to make you feel something, to expose you to something that's going to get a reaction out of you, to make you consider some things you hadn't considered before. I mean, that's what Guernica did. That painting upset everybody. Oh, my God, you can't show war and, and death and murder of animals and people in a painting. That's not what paint, that's not art. Well, I think that is exactly art. You know, pop music, you know, it, it sells because people are exposed to it over and over in the media, in uh, iTunes and Spotify. And um, that stuff is just designed to distract and amuse you. And listen, there's some value to amusement. But what we're talking about is serious business. And, you know, art is about more than amusement. I'd like to thank my guest, Brother Wayne Kramer, the MC5, Chris Dose from Anti-Flag. Thank you so much for the thoughtful discussion of the intersection of punk rock, music, and politics on Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Until next time, take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower. Oh.